Welcome to tonight's podcast in the studio. I have Wayne Byrne. I'm Paul Farron talking for Film Ireland. Um, thank you very much for listening. Uh, Wayne Byrne is the writer of a new book on Burt Reynolds. Uh, the book is titled Burt Reynolds on Screen. Wayne, uh, before we go into the book, I'd like to talk a bit about you. You're f- uh, Wayne's a film journalist. I first came to my attention when he uh, wrote a beautiful book on Tom DeSillo. And uh, that was probably your first published book. That was my very first book, yeah. Uh, to tell us a bit more how you ended up in the world of film journalism. Um, well, about 10 years ago, it would be 10 years ago, actually, um, I got my first job as a film critic with a local newspaper in Ace called The Leinster Leader. I never intended to be a writer as such. I just, I always did my amateur writings just for because I loved movies and just wanted to put it down, put that passion down on paper. So a friend of mine said, why don't you go to the Leinster Leader and see if they'll publish it? So set up a meeting with the editor, went in with my big, huge book of scrawled writings and something about it made him take me on and he gave me a whole page. It's wonderful to get a mentor, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. And he was he was supportive. He just said, hey, these look good. Do you want to do, you want to do it? So I was reviewing all the new movies. Like, Well, all. I, got, I reviewed about maybe two movies of that week and then a DVD release. You know, but I saw a lot of the new movies that came out, but that was quite jarring for me because like now, I'm not, I'm not a contemporary movie guy. You know what I mean? So it was a bit of a culture shock. So I had to go, well, what's the big thing these days? And the first thing I had to review was the, the then new Harry Potter sequel, the sixth one or whatever it was. So for preparation, I had to go back and watch the, the, the rest of them. You know, the, the first five or whatever. And, you know, so that was... That, so was, that, my was, int- that was traumatic. <laughs> yes, that was my introduction. traumatic for me, anyway. <laughs> that was my I, introduction. I couldn't get through the first three. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so, but your passion for writing about film is... Okay, obviously, anyone who... I think anyone who delves into film journalists must have some love. Oh, yeah. But I know from talking to you in our conversations that you, you have a very passionate uh, lover of film and it's not always veering towards simply academic thoughts and ideas. Oh, no. It's just through that passion. I mean, t- tell me a little bit about how the Burt Reynolds book came about. Well, I finished the Tom DeChillo book and like I said, I never intended, I never set out to say I want to be a film writer. You know what I mean? I just wanted a Tom DeChillo book on my shelf. So I went and wrote it. And it got published. Beautiful. <laughs> and then when that when that got published, I I was bitten by the, the writing bug. I was like, geez, I want to do more of these books. This is great. You know, all this attention. You know, So I said, well, who do I want to write about next? And it was a very, very short list of people. And three of those already had numerous books written about them. You know, John Wayne, Clint Eastwood, all that kind of thing. So it came down to Burt Reynolds. Like those are my three big actors. When it comes to actors, those are my three big guys, you know, Clint Eastwood. Uh, John Wayne and Burt Reynolds so I, I would love to write about any of them so Burt sprang to mind because the only books really available on him were he had two autobiographies and there were a couple of old books from the late 70s early 80s which are really all about his lifestyle and his relationships and this and that and the other but I wanted a book about his films because here's a man with a huge huge back catalogue you know 150 plus movies and TV shows and whatever else so and at one time one of the biggest the, the biggest draw in Hollywood oh for five years solid you know, number one most profitable movie star. Well, well let's actually touch on that for our younger uh, listeners who mm-hmm. might be age six and that, and they don't know who Burt Reynolds is. Give us a quick description and the sense of that early career for Burt. Well, Burt started out as kind of a, as a stuntman on these kind of Western TV shows before he, he got a break in Riverboat, which was, you know, a Darren McGa- McGavin NBC TV show. And Burt played kind of he was second fiddle to Darren McGavin he was second bill in the show but he didn't really do anything beyond pulling the horn on, on the <laughs> on the steamboat you know so you know that and a couple of other shows cameos and shows well that weren't really cameos they were bit parts you know so he was in the Twilight Zone he was in the M Squad he was in all these other different shows but then he got a break with a TV show called Hawk you know which kind of it, it lasted one season and uh, didn't do too well and he started doing these smaller films then B-movie films like Navajo Joe you know so he was getting into that whole spaghetti western mode and then he went and did Dan August which was another failed TV show another cop show quite similar to Hawk only a bit more polished but around this time he started getting more and more film work and I guess the film that broke him into the big star that he became was Deliverance from 1972-73 you know so from there he became the Burt Reynolds that we know which is probably one of his darkest films. Oh, absolutely. Uh, directed yeah. by John Borman. Yeah. Very much a product of its time of the whole new Hollywood scene, you know, and unusual for Burt because, I mean, the films he was making up to that point, you know, the likes of Fuzz, um, some of the other films like Run, Simon, Run, Fade In, 
which were all some some of those are virtually lost actually. <laughs> just to, to go it back to you said you said John Wayne Eastwood all oh. stars no no more no less than Burt Reynolds to some people uh, but less of a body of work written uh, intellectually or otherwise about the actual film work. Oh absolutely. Why do you think this is or what was up until now with now that you've done it? Um, well well I've I've faced that criticism myself you know from from a previous publisher where, where who I brought the idea to because I was contractually contractually obliged to and I said well Bert Reynolds isn't really somebody we would consider important enough to to release a book on so that was fine I, I, I expected that was going to be the case but I still had to offer it to them anyway so when I went to my my publisher who is releasing it they were wholly receptive they said Are you can Bert Reynolds here is not only a film star He's he's a legend. He's a he's a folk hero, and that meant so much to me. Knowing that from them, that they're going to treat this book with the way I wanted it to be treated. You know that they treat him with respect as a film star, but they also acknowledge the body of work that he created. Good to mark this point that uh, Bert is also a Floridian, as a Southern man, exactly, and uh, a big deal in the South. Yeah, as opposed to my, North America. My publisher is based in the South, in North Carolina. So that so. explains a bit. Oh, there you go. <laughs> But uh, and all and it, these are things I, again I didn't realize. And I would consider myself a little bit of a fan of Burt Reynolds' work that he really did embrace Southern uh, stylings and culture in as many films as he could possibly do. That oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, some the earliest films that you see him in, like say Fade In, Run Simon Run. You know, he he's playing kind of blue collar working class Southern guys who often come up against this culture clash with more bourgeois women. You know what I mean? So even before he was, like I say, with Deliverance onwards, this kind of, you know, major film star who represented the South, in those smaller films, he was doing that as well. It was just in the early TV shows, he didn't get a chance to. But I think that was always in his blood. It was That was always what he wanted to do, was to represent the South on screen in that Hollywood manner. You know, but unfortunately, some of those early films are quite hard to find. But. And I say good to note that Dan August, even though, again, Dan August was a one-season wonder and killed mostly because it was very expensive. Yeah. Um, it cemented the, the star appeal and the celebrity appeal of him yeah. just before, I think, he went to do Deliverance. And then I think Fuzz came after that, which is a bit more populist again, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, Fuzz was kind of a silly, very entertaining, but silly cop thriller. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you went in looking for it, was based on an Ed McBain novel or series of novels. And if you went in expecting some serious kind of cop movie, you aren't getting it. I mean, Fuzz is essentially, you can see the beginnings of Bert, the playful entertainer. You know what I mean? He's not playing a serious cop in this. You know what I mean? And he probably didn't want to. I mean, coming from Hawk and Don August, which were very po-faced, very serious mm-hmm. kind of TV shows, I, I think he, he always had that entertainer in him. And I think Fuzz allowed him to do that. Yeah, I think it was a quick, from your book I read that he only did Don August because he went for the money. It was the extra was bit of paid. cash because he said the... He hated cops because there was no girl and you're basically in love with your car. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I mean, he he bet, um, what's his name, the guy who was in Little House in the Prairie. Michael Landon. Michael Landon. He bet him as to, to be the highest paid TV star at the time, you know, which was a major boon for him. So it made him profitable, but unfortunately the, t- the TV show itself wasn't profitable, so it didn't last. But luckily enough, the films, he started to gain traction then in his film career from there. And as he said, it cemented his celebrity. Because yeah. the, the interesting about for people who kind of half know who Burt is, they'll remember him from things like his stunt movies and his car yep. chase movies and comedies and forget that there was a more serious kind of aspect to his acting, yeah. which again came out in later films. But do you want to talk a bit more about that? Yeah. How it evolved from, say, we could go back a little bit to the days of... Uh, Skullduggery, which yeah. was quite a serious film, and how he moved from yeah. role to role. I think the problem with Skullduggery was it ended up, you know, it's it's neither this kind of sci-fi adventure or it it's it's not kind of a, a comic movie either. It's 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 nothing really. It's you know, it's based on supposedly a very serious novel from what from what I hear. I haven't read it, but it just as a blockbuster movie of its time, it didn't really hit those registers as a kind of a adventure sci-fi mm-hmm. movie, but. It was the other films around it that I think he, he was able to parlay that serious character actor work into something good eventually with Deliverance and then the likes of The Man Who Loved Cat Dancing, which is a very sober performance, you know, and a very serious dark Western. But I mean, from there, it's really, it was Smokey and the Bandit then a couple of years later that kind of took off and made him a megastar. He was already a very popular film star, but he became a megastar with Smokey and the Bandit. And because of his character in that film, I suppose a lot of people associate 
Burt Reynolds with yeah, that to, just, And to, to tell you, anyone who doesn't know Smoking the Band is shame on you, but it's <laughs> essentially a good old boy car chase movie. And to, to go back a little bit again to White Lightning, the persona yeah. for the Burt Reynolds persona that yeah. I think, I'm, I'm telling you, tell me if I'm wrong, was part of his success and his it crippled him at the same time. Yeah, well, I mean, White Lightning kind of defined Burt as that Southern folk hero. You know what I mean? But it came out of tradition of those bootlegging B-movies, those drive-in kind of movies. They were ju- it was just, it was a little bit more polished because Joseph Sargent, who was a good director, made it. And it, it was a very serious movie, you know what I mean? A very serious topic. It dealt with, with racism and all that kind of stuff in the South at that time. But it was Gator, really, which was the bigger action movie version of White Lightning. It was a sequel to White Lightning, but it was a much different kind of film. It was bigger, broader. Yeah. Kind of thing. And it was leading into Smokey and the Bandit. It was, he was developing that kind of character. With Gator, yeah, because uh, again, his his love of stunts. By the way, just to, to get uh, again, we're going back and forth here, like crazy. But one of his big allies was Hal Needham, who oh, went absolutely. on to direct him in a lot of films. Yeah. But Hal Needham would have been a stuntman going right back to the early sixties. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, Hal worked on some of those early shows like Gunsmoke, which was you know I forgot to mention that was one That's of the right. Births. So yeah. yeah, he was in that for about twenty six episodes, wasn't he? He was in it for I think across four seasons, four or five seasons. But was I think he, I think he was frustrated. To the point where he was getting, you know, the fan mail suggested that he should have been a bigger character. You know what I mean? Quint Asper. But the show never really allowed him to develop beyond that. I mean, there's a couple of episodes throughout the series where they're Quint episodes. Yes. They never really developed the character as such. You know what I mean? It, it should also mention that he kind of was getting Indian roles. And oh, yeah. He sure was hawk. becoming because kind of typecast because he was himself quarter One eight. Cherokee. One eight Cherokee. One eight. Yeah. Yeah, but and he was typecasting himself. Oh, absolutely! Yeah, I'm sure Hawk, he was playing an Indian uh, halfian or whatever it was in that film. So he was just, and of course, Navajo Joe. So he he just wanted to get away from that, or at least do it respectfully, you know. And Hal Needham uh, again brought him the next step with Smoking the Band. In fact, it's Hal Needham's fault that Smoking the Band exists. Well, Hal, Hal Needham, tell us that story. Hal, Hal, <laughs> Hal Needham wrote it, you know, hand wrote it on a couple of writing pads. You know, and Bert said it was the worst script he ever read. But Hal's his friend. Hal was living with him at the time in his, you know, his his pool house or whatever. Mm-hmm. So, but Hal, you know, Hal was widely recognised as one of the the great stuntmen in the motion picture business. He would have been the Yakima cannot of his day. He he would indeed, and I get that reference. I wonder how many people will. <laughs> <laughs> I want uh, to find out. Let us know, please. <laughs> <laughs> but you know. But Hal was an amazing stuntman. He worked on um, White Lightning. He did an amazing stunt in, in White Lightning where the, the car jumps across, tries to get onto the boat and it just about misses and it hangs on. That's, that's Hal who apparently injured himself big time on that. And if anyone cares, by the way, these things can be found on YouTube. Absolutely, yeah. And we're not right. sponsored by YouTube, but right, if you know they what? want to sponsor us, please do. But you know what I'd say? Go and buy all these movies because they're exactly. worth it. They are yeah. amazing movies. They're hard, but this is the thing, they're hard to come by, some of them. Well, it was actually, yeah, making this book was a bit of an effort in terms of tracking down all of the films because not all of them are readily available. I mean, some of them are, they're kind of come lost films or whatever. They're just, they're just hard to find and didn't get major releases over here, which is a shame because, I mean, when you think about some of them, which were the likes of Paternity and starting over from the late 70s, early 80s, he's working with major directors and they were big studio films, but... Mm-hmm. For some reason, they're just not well remembered over here. But the, the, the those films again, I, I remember Paternity, and you said mm. that's, you had to trace it down on VHS. I got it? an original VHS of it, which I was. Well, they've been particularly kind of culturally kind of bound within America American understandings. Well, I would, I would have thought that Burt Reynolds was big enough at that time that you know they could release it anywhere and it would be a success. But evidently, that wasn't the case. Probably with, with some of the stuff. But I just thought he's working with big directors, big studios. He's the most popular star in the world. You know, how maybe just the humour of them didn't travel or whatever it was. Um, how, how long were you working on this book? A year. Went slightly over a year. But, you know, I, I signed the contract and started another book at the same time because they're, they're kind of connected, which we'll get to, I'm sure. But um, yeah, a year. This year, would be I, the Nick McLean book. Yeah, who worked, who was a very close friend of Bert's That's right. for 40 years and worked on many of his films. Um, but I had a year because which was a shock to me because it took me five years to write my first book, but that's because I wasn't bound by contract. I just wrote a book and when I finished it, then I sold it. But with this book, you know, I sold the idea, signed a contract. Okay, we have a year, <laughs> you know, which was major because I was looking in that I'd seen 90% of the films. I had 90% of the films, but it was a few that I had to track down, which took mm-hmm. me a few months, you know, to, to get them, get good, decent copies to watch them. 
And plus it meant going back to all those films that I was familiar with to watch them in this context of an a- analyzing them or picking out certain scenes to talk about things like that. So it was a major effort. I mean, was look at there, these bags under my eyes. That's, that's <laughs> because of this movie. Was there a fear of so it turning to work and and taking away the gleam, the passion for them? It never took away the gleam, the passion. I mean, I was working a full-time, two jobs. I work a full-time job. I work for Hot Press Magazine as well. So I'm constantly going. I mean, I was up till three or four o'clock in the morning writing this book, you know what I mean? Most nights. Yeah. Because that was my time slot. It was from 10, 11 o'clock to four in the morning. You just turned your love into money. It's a <laughs> yeah, if we could all much. do that, we'd be very, very happy. Well, listen, 10 years ago, I would have been wondering, how do you do that? How do, <laughs> how do you get to do that? You know what I mean? But now I'm doing it, so I can't complain. But, you know, to be writing about Burt Reynolds and these films was nothing but an absolute pleasure. But and I met some great people. Yeah, well, we're going to you. Get, you got some great interviews with really uh, close people. I mean, yeah. it should be noted that Bert's dead now since last September, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, September. It's his anniversary. It's the first year anniversary this year, I think. It would be. Yeah. Uh, and uh, getting to talk to people would have been a little bit hard, as you were saying yourself. It was. People are guarded and very loyal. Very about much what, so. What, what, what are you talking about? People, and what's the subject? People loved Bert, but they also. There, there. I mean, there were there were some some things went on down the years where he didn't get on with people, and they just didn't want to talk about that time. You know what I mean? Which was fine, but it was it was again it was different. This book because on my first book with Tom DeChillo, everybody I approached, apart from Brad Pitt, said yes, I'll talk about Tom. I love Tom. Tom was a major part of my film career, but with Bert, because he's been poured over, his life has been poured over in the media, you know, and especially in like you know the tabloid press and all that. And certain books take that kind of tabloid slant on him. And I had absolutely no interest in his personal relationships or his love life or anything like that. It should be noted that he was the very first Playgirl spread. <laughs> and I think that's a, that's a rock star thing to do. I love him for that. I, don't, I, I, don't, I haven't seen the picture. I think if, if he had a time machine, he would have went back would, and not done that. Really? Yeah. I don't know. I think it stands to him. I think he, he, he said, fuck you all. Yeah, <laughs> I think he said well, after that, though, that people stopped taking... Well, if they didn't take him seriously to that point, I don't know, but... They stopped taking them seriously after that. There was, I can't remember the interviewee, but someone said it nicely. They said the problem with, for Bert was that he didn't take any shit. He was decent and straight up, but he wouldn't, he wouldn't allow himself to be pushed back. And that caused an awful lot of grief from detractors. Well, the thing was with that centerfold, he did that as a joke because I think he was on Carson one night with uh, the editor of Cosmopolitan. And, you know, he, he said, you'll, you'll never put a man in the, in the, in the spread and shed. Well, if you want to do it, come and do it. And he said, I'll do it. And Did it, he do it with a cushion or without a cushion? <laughs> I can't remember now. <laughs> blocked it we out. don't know. We don't know. <laughs> but, but, but yeah, but that's the kind of thing. Uh, he didn't take himself seriously enough at times. And I think other people didn't like that aspect of his yeah. personality. Because he could be really relaxed. To, to give a full human picture of him, mm. and, and you'll do this better than me probably, is that he was loyal and he was generous and he, he looked after his friends yeah. but not in that nasty entourage way that you understand from other people that would say the Elvis Hilk or no, others. No, I mean, he was, from everyone I've talked to, he was supposedly immensely loyal, generous to a fault. I mean, that's probably part of his financial downfall. You know what I mean? He was, because he was so generous and I'm sure a lot of people came to him for help, you know, for various things. There's a beautiful afterward from uh, James Lewis. Who, Jimmy Lewis, yeah. Uh, I mean, I, I could, you could feel the emotion in oh. that bit of writing talking about how he cut more or less a kind of student and teacher well, relationship with him. Jimmy Lewis, and this was another aspect of Bert's life. He was a teacher, you know, and the, the, the name of that, the title of that afterward is The Teacher and the Student by Jimmy Lewis. And Jimmy Lewis was one of his students. You know what I mean? He's a Vietnam veteran. He was an ex-cop. But he went into Bert's acting institute and... You know, he was he was putting in, in his years as an apprentice and Bert said to him one day, do you want to be in a movie? And that movie was Sharky's Machine, which is, you know, absolutely love a Shark Machine. is one of the best movies. It's a great one, yeah. You know? And um, so Jimmy Lewis got his part in that. And then he also became Bert's stunt double and photo double because he's, he's quite the image of him. You know what I mean? So he, he had that. So he was he was behind the camera. He was in front of the camera. And he eventually ended up working with Nick McLean, actually, in the camera department years later. But he was very good friends with Bert. And he was one of those close friends I was able to to talk to. And he offered me just a great insight into the man behind the camera, mm. you know, uh, the man behind Bart Reynolds, the persona. And it was terrific because Jimmy Lewis is, he just had a, such a unique, he was there, he was there until the end with Bart. You know, he'd seen him recently before he died. And he just, reading that afterwards really kind of touches the soul. So at that midpoint, would you call 
smoking the band at the midpoint career move? Or? Oh, absolutely, yeah. Well, for me, you know, if if you know the whole the spectrum of Bert's career, smoking well, the band is very much the middle. Yeah. To t- take us a bit from there to the later films, because like as I said, he kind of tried to go back and forth. Yeah. Sorry, it should be mentioned, sorry, just to, to stop for a minute and rewind a little bit. Mm-hmm. He worked a bit with Peter Bogdanovich. He made two films with he Bogdanovich, did. wasn't yeah. it? He did Nickelodeon. And what's the one I'm forgetting? No, At Long Last Love. At Long Last which was an unusual musical in that it tried to go back to old school days yeah. of recording the soundtrack oh, and the vocals on yeah. the set. Difficult film to make. done again recently with Les Mis, that Les Mis movie yeah. with Hugh Jackman. But there was a, it was a major financial misstep and there were some issues with the studio and Bogdanovich. And yeah. I think um, Bert said somewhere that, you know, he was, he was essentially stuck between, you know, the Sybil and Peter, who were going out at the time where they were married I can't remember either or well Bogdanovich got a bit of a lash because he'd uh, done three movies in a row that were all oh. works of art yeah. by the Critical media darling. and commercial he was an success. ex-critic and uh, suddenly when he made one mistake that yeah. was it he, but it's I mean it's a great, it's a great uh, ode to those old musicals of the, the 30s and 40s but this is in the middle of the, the new Hollywood where you have all these serious filmmakers making serious movies and it it just comes out as this kind of grand folly, this big expensive musical. That what was that other really expensive uh, period piece he did with Gene Hackman and Liza Minnelli? Look, lucky Lady. Yeah, yeah, and that, that's who directed that. that? Stanley Donen, who Stan was Donen, one of the right. old musical guys, you know, singing in the rain. That's right. And that film just it doesn't really work for me. Well, I mean, it's 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 okay. It's a well, it was a, a, a huge flop at the time. Massive. Yeah, I think I don't yeah. think anyone liked that film. No, and. Um, it's a weird thing. You look at that film, Jeffrey Unsworth, I think was the cinematographer, and it has this glow over the whole thing. It's that really hyper-stylized, um, kind of gauzy look. And in some instances, it's really heavy and it's very hard to make out what you're looking at on, on screen. But It's the Vaseline on the lens look. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. But taken to absolute excess. And it's just... That's right. I, I remember from yeah. years ago. It's a horrible kind yeah. of look to it. But it just I, doesn't... It doesn't. For me, Gene Hackman and Burt Reynolds don't work together. You know what I mean? They're kind of cancelling each other out. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Bert, you know, Bert Reynolds does his Bert Reynolds thing at that time, which was to be kind of light and jocular and humorous. And Gene Hackman is, even in a, in a light comedy, he's very serious. It, it seems that he never really was able, not that he wasn't able, that people weren't able to have a good, strong leading man kind of bounce off. I mean, the, the only big leading man he was with was uh, Hackman, who wasn't even mm. a huge, huge star. He was still a yeah. strong character actor type. Uh, Ryan O'Neill who would have been a bit of a darling at the time yeah I think their their coupling is nice in Nickelodeon it's not bad it is yeah I and actually then, like Nickelodeon and then Clint Eastwood and they were both in a strange place in their career when they made that film oh, yeah, City Heat yeah, yeah. And which is a, a terrific looking film I mean that's some of Nick McLean's finest mm. work but um, I enjoy City Heat it's you know it, it could have been Probably could have been less less campy, perhaps. You know what I mean? If it was a well, more serious kind of... No, it's interesting to note that was originally a Blake Edwards project. Wasn't it was, it? yeah. Blake Edwards started out making that movie and then it became a Clint Eastwood movie. And as everyone yeah, says... With, Clint, the, with Richard Benjamin taking being the beard. The de facto title, director <laughs> title. But you know what I mean? It's As everyone says, if it's a Clint Eastwood movie, it's a Clint Eastwood movie in every way, you know. Well, then it's one of the cheesiest Clint Eastwood movies ever made. Well, he's made a few <laughs> cheese balls. That's true. <laughs> so th- that would be about three movies after Smokey and the Bandit? Uh, let me see. After Smokey, he did Cannonball Run, which was kind of cashing in on that that whole Smokey thing, the the anarchic cartoon yeah. road movie. You know, so he did that. As, as you described it aptly as kind of human wacky races. Yeah, I mean, it's it's Roadrunner, you know. Yeah. <laughs> um, what else did he do? He's Sharky's Machine, Paternity. Um, starting over, you know, starting over, he he wanted to go back and do a even it's a romantic comedy, but a, a serious character piece, romantic comedy, you know. Um, of the later films, I find that has some of the best reviews of, uh, as you say, what yeah. is a genuine performance there, and he was playing so hard against type there, it was an unusual oh, casting because the premise of the piece is that a, a guy is sort his wife basically kicks him out because he's having a, an affair. She becomes a pop star, she takes off and he's he's a bit of a dullard. And we're supposed to believe I mean? that he's gone having struggling on the single scene. Yeah. But Burt Reynolds always said that was the closest thing to him in real life, which no one of course would believe, you know. I believe um, it. You know, <laughs> <laughs> don't know if any woman would. <laughs> but me and Bert, huh? <laughs> Singles. <laughs> but the thing is, he wanted to work at Pecula because Pecula was a, a serious name back then. Yeah. Pecula didn't want Burt Reynolds, you know, because he, he associated Reynolds with Smokey and all those films. And Bert actually did the unprecedented thing for a star of his magnitude at that time, which was he screen tested for 
And yeah, he that got was it. an amazing thing to yeah, do. He got it, you know, and he's fantastic in the film. Absolutely fantastic. But he went on into the 80s then, you know, he did Stroke Race, which he said kind of ruined him with the critics and with... He with was too ahead of his time there, as we were saying earlier. Mm -hmm. uh, there was a NASCAR movie. Yeah. And people didn't know what the hell NASCAR was, this yeah. side of the world. Apparently it was quite influential in getting people into into that whole scene. Cause, cause but it, it was a huge flop, wasn't it? It was. Well, it was a flop in Burt Reynolds' terms. Yeah. It didn't make Smokey and the Bandit money. Exactly, you know? so, exactly. But it still, yeah. it still made a few quid. But uh, it's, it's, a, it's a kind of a... It's, the closest thing to maybe a police academy movie that Bert ever made, you know what I mean? It's it's you know, there's high towers in there from police academy, but you know it's a silly, it's a it's a Saturday matinee comedy, you know what I mean? It's it's kind of throwaway, but it's, for me, it, I I love it. It's very enjoyable. It's not great cinema, but who cares? Exactly. Yeah. And uh, Hooper came after that. Hooper was actually before it. Hooper, I think, was late seventies, if I'm right. But Hooper, strangely enough, since since Bert had died, I've seen a lot of tributes to him and most of them have kind of said geez Hooper was a great film you know and it was it was really really good a nice, I, I really like Hooper yeah, it was nice. a nice inside look it was the only one I've seen since Burt died where you know most of the tributes were Burt Reynolds of Deliverance Smokey and the Bandit and Boogie Nights no mention of at all of some of these other big huge movies but I have seen Hooper thrown in there you know thankfully to those who don't know, that's a ode to the stu the stunt men of Hollywood. Yep. It's probably the Sunset Boulevard of stunt movies. Yeah, he, <laughs> it's, his character in it is based on Jocko Mahoney, who was this big time. You know, I've actor. just been watching Jocko Mahoney movies there recently, and when he played Tarzan back in the sixties. Oh yeah, yeah, Yancy Derringer as well was a, was uh, again a very rare thing of a stunt man turned actor. Yeah, um, and who else in that? Who was that poor casualty? Brian Pete. No, the other one. From Airwolf, isn't he? Oh, Jan Michael Vincent. Oh, Jan Michael Vincent. Yeah. Uh, but it's a great film. It's a very hard film to get as well. It's, it is. This yeah. Is yeah. Is that it's a shame that his most back of these... catalogue is just so hard to come by. Yeah. And I don't know why, because I mean, like I say, they're big studio movies, so they're not obscure oddities. Or like and that. it's also got what, what was a record breaking stunt at the time, if I remember oh, right. The car leap at the end. Yeah. Yeah. It was, uh, it was, was the, the, the longest distance, and Hal Needham, the director, yeah. was the one who did it. So I, this gives me a nice segue into uh, not trying to promote Quentin Tarantino and Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, but it'd be nice to remind people that Once Upon a Time in Hollywood owes as much debt to Burt Reynolds and Hal Needham as it does to yeah. Charles Manson and Steve McQueen. Yeah. Would you want to tell our listeners a bit about that? Well, Burt was, was all set to star in it, but it, he hadn't filmed any of his scenes before he died, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Um, but from all accounts from people I've talked to, his friends and people that are close to him, he was very excited. Well, as I said, the Brad Pitt and the Capri role would be variations on Needham and Reynolds to some degree. Really? I don't know a whole lot about the, the because, film. Because, um, I mean, even down to the, the idea of the actor going off to yeah. to Italy to make a, a spaghetti western oh, yeah. and come back later. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of nods <laughs> right. to, to that aspect yeah. of uh, Reynolds' career. Right. If we look at it, go back to, to the beginnings of his career where he played procedurals, TV, and then he was this... He did a few westerns in the late 60s, which I like. Yeah. A lot of people don't. I think 100 Rifles and Sam Whiskey are too fun and very yeah. different different westerns. And then, as you said, we got into the car movies, which was the 70s up mm -hmm. until the 80s, including Cannonball Run 2, which yeah. is kind of... I think it's worth mentioning mostly because th there was Rat Pack rules oh, going on in that film. And, and that. the Rat Pack. Yeah, the cast in that. In those Tell us a bit about, about that one. Well, you have Frank Sinatra in there, you have uh, Dean Martin, you have Sammy Davis Jr. And you have all these other, you know, Dom De Louise and all these other guys in there. You know, Jackie Chan. Got a, well, Jackie Chan was in the first one. He wasn't in the second one. He wasn't. God, they're kind of interchangeable. Um, I think he was. You think he could cut them all together? He was. He was in the second one. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember, so it was Roger Moore wasn't in the second one. Roger Moore wasn't in the second one. No. Um, he didn't want to go back because there was a serious accident on the first one. Involving one of the his co-stars that were right. in his scene, so he it left a bad taste. Yeah. He said, "So, yeah, it's unfortunate." But, but again, Cannibal Run was a badly reviewed, but it made its money and it yep. pleased the audience. Yep. Uh, and it was regarded as a, as a lazy kind of film by it's the critics. Pretty much a rip, a remake actually, rip off and remake of the first one. Yeah. But that, to me, that's not a bad thing. I love seeing that again. Why not? Oh yeah, <laughs> and, and and for me, that that's an amazing bit of history that see Dean. Yeah, and Sammy Davis and Frankie Sinatra. Oh yeah, uh, the last one they would ever be on screen together yeah. in, in, in a film. And God, you have Telly Savalas in there. Telly Savalas. Jesus. 
Yeah. And Jack Elam, my favourite. Oh, he's he, in those two films, he's my favourite character. Yeah. You know, that crazy doctor from the <laughs> University of Rangoon or whatever it is. Yeah. <laughs> a a, a protoctor, wasn't it? A, a pro- yeah, doctor of proctology, proctology and other, other assorted maladies. <laughs> so then we've got him trying to reinvent himself in more of a serious kind of cop movies. Yeah, again. well, in the, once the 80s came and he kind of did what everyone else was doing at that stage, was starting to go into those kind of serious kind of cop thrillers or, you know, gritty action movies. And you had the likes of, um, kind of going from City Hill onwards, you have, you have Stick, you have Malone, you have Rent-A-Cop, uh, Physical Evidence. But I forgot about Rent-A-Cop. Is that the one with Liza? Yep. Okay. Jerry London directed that one and Jerry wouldn't talk to me. <laughs> 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 he just says, I'd rather not comment on that. So, uh, well, the, I said that was a bit of a mad movie to make. Yeah, Eliza would have been full on at that stage. Yeah, and Bert did a few films. I, I liked her chemistry actually. I really liked. Did her he chemistry. do three movies with Eliza, or just two? Um, well, he did Lucky Lady. Um, what else did he do? He did. I think he did do three movies, but I can't think of what else. But you know, Rent a Cop. Well, physical evidence. I think of of that run of films is the lesser of all of them. It's a Michael Crichton film, and it just the chemistry between him and Teresa Russell, Bert and Teresa Russell, is just off. It's yeah. interesting to mark that it was kind of Crichton at a, at a low ebb as well, yeah. who came back really big after that yeah. with Spielberg's adaptation of Jurassic yeah. Park. I mean, it feels more like a um, TV movie. There's no there's no style to it. You wouldn't look at it and say, oh, that's It Michael would have been very prominent on the video shelf back in the day. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, it, I remember the cover. It's an interesting time period because I like, don't forget, video was really prevalent then. Yeah. And the, the, the idea of pure cinema for a film was totally... Yeah, uh, gone. Yeah, well, I mean, that that was my introduction to Burt Reynolds. I mean, it was it was the image of of Stick and of Malone on the video shelves, and I rented them when I was way too young to be renting them. You know what I mean? And it was discovering that to me that's <laughs> tut, tut. <laughs> I was, I was about six and I'm watching Stick. But you know that that's what got me. So there was into... different rules applied in video shops back then yeah, than they did in the cinema. Is that okay with your parents? <laughs> yeah, okay, Grant. There you go. <laughs> Do they know all the bad language in that? Yeah, um, which is really interesting because I think most of those films didn't get. Uh, European theatrical runs certainly not in Ireland because Ireland would have been a smaller distribution yeah. network and I think Burt's only way into our lives was through video yeah. and that goes for all the films you just mentioned there yeah. and a few others I mean Rent Cop went straight to video oh yeah there. and I think Stick surprisingly because that was a big movie a big mm. push from Universal on that movie but I think that did go straight to video here which was unusual for a major studio release at that time you know especially with Burt Reynolds but um, but that was one of that was one of the, the key films for me discovering Burt Reynolds mm-hmm. and you know discovering my passion for for Burt's movies and his his persona his his image on screen you know what I mean so it, that film in particular means a lot to me and just that whole era of Burt Reynolds means a lot to me even though it's kind of the it's a down period for him coming down from that the absolute highs of Smokey and Cannonball and all that you know yeah so there's <laughs> one film worth mentioning that it was in around that time that's Best Friends Oh, yeah, Norman Jewison. Yeah, which again is one of those unusual films that has gotten lost, but it yeah. was highly regarded at the time. Yeah, yeah, very good. Uh, just to know, uh, it was a, a comedy about a scriptwriter, husband and wife, yeah. as they finally decide to become more than friends, yeah. even though they're lovers already, they decide to get married tomorrow. Yeah, well, he doesn't want to settle down, she does. Oh, was it her? I thought yeah. it was him, I can't remember. But. Oh, sorry, you're yeah. right. Yeah. yeah, she doesn't want to settle down. He does. He thinks it's. Don't forget, Goldie Goldie Hawn only ever played blokes in those movies. <laughs> at that time, she was a tough. Private Benjamin, man. Wildcats, yeah. and all that. Yeah. <laughs> Overboard. Oh, and what was the the factory one? Um, Jonathan Demi movie Swing Shift. Yes. Yeah, but um, yeah, Best Friends is a fantastic film. You have a great cast in there. You have Jessica Tandy and a couple of those other old school actors. But um, it's a shame that some of those films, and that was one of the, one of my one of the reasons for this book to exist, is because I wanted to draw attention to all these films that fell in between Smokey and Cannonball mm-hmm. and Boogie Nights and there's a lot of them you know what I mean so I hope that it kind of shines a light on them and the cool thing is that I was able to talk to some of the people from them which kind of gives it a bit more gravity I guess and this brings us neatly I think to talk about Burt Reynolds as a director because oh, yeah. he did a lot of directing around this time and he had he directed uh, Gator yeah. which was a big success for him but yeah. he left it a good long time before he did yeah he was like he didn't direct that many movies and there was big gaps between them but I think I think deep down he wanted to be a filmmaker you know what I mean and then when it's, it's unfortunate because with Stick he got his chance to do a big huge studio film you know that adaptation of an Elmore Leonard novel which he loved and he wanted to really really you know do it authentically but somewhere along the way you know 
Yeah, tell us a bit about that because it's an interesting kind of um, uh, studio madness there, the, the fight that he had over yeah, well, creative the, differences. The thing is Universal wanted a more, how would you say, a real, more typical 80s action film. You know, the synthesizer, synthesizer score and a bit more violence and all that kind of thing, which is the finished version now. When you look at the film, it's very much a kind of a post-Beverly Hills Cop kind of movie. You know, it has that score. It has that... It's kind of cursed by it in a way. Yeah, and I mean, three quarters of the film <clears throat> is is the, the film that Burt made. You know what I mean? And it was shot by Nick McLean. And then they 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 wanted this extra 20 minutes of footage, which wasn't shot by Nick and which Burt didn't want to do. But, you know, the boss is up in the Black Tower at Universal said, this is what we want. So he did it. You know, he just wanted to get the finish, film finished but he, it, I think he'd lost his passion at that stage and you can kind of feel it in the film I mean there's certain scenes which are just kind of lumped in there mm-hmm. you know what I mean out of the blue and they put in this relationship with his daughter which is very melodramatic and just takes the, the narrative off in these wild directions but yeah so he was he was still a popular huge name Burt Reynolds but he didn't have the power that he had he wasn't able to wield that kind of power that he previously was able to in the previous decade so it was such an amazing transformation. Yeah. I think as he said himself. Absolutely. He said getting to the top was interesting, but staying there is not yeah. nice at all. And that's, I mean, from there, from Stick, you had that run of films that you say were pretty much yeah. more prevalent in video than the cinema. So Malone and all that. Like on Malone, which is, you know, I, I love Malone. It's a great kind of so like update a, of Shane. At the time, a contemporary Shane. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's really good, I think. But I, Mike Medavoy, who I think ran Orion, you know, offered him three million for that. For, for someone who's you know, commercial cachet wasn't as what it once was. You know, I think most of the budget went on that, went to Bert, you mm-hmm. know, and Bert was still surprised about that, that he had someone still willing to pay him his big salaries, even though this was a kind of a more modest kind of film. And I don't think it, it, it I remember it. I remember it on video, as you probably do, and I don't think it did huge business in the cinema, you know, but it, it was the start of that run of the downfall, I guess, his commercial downfall. An unusual one that I came across, which I haven't seen, and I just I want to ask my, for my own personal interest, was a Danny Houston directed film the called The Maddening. Yeah. Danny Houston, son of John Houston, the great director. I think that yeah. was the first and last thing he directed. Probably right? the closest thing to a horror film that Bert ever did. Yes, that's you what know? I was curious about. Yeah, it's a psychological, very, very dark psychological film based on a Andrew Niederman novel. Um, Nick McLean shot that as well, and terrifically stylish very gothic kind of lighting camera work in that but yeah, again the film came straight to video and it was do, again do you think it deserved that do you think there was just no I no think no one was willing to take the risk or what was I, going on I think it's visually I think it's it's the kind of film that would have looked great in, in on, the on the big screen yeah. you know what I mean it's, it's, it's Nick McLean if whenever he's working even in TV, he always shoots as if the product is going to be seen in a in a movie theater. You know what I mean? Yeah, before and it was even before, fashionable about yeah. him, right? We we had this conversation before with Nick when we yeah. were in here and he he went and shot Evening Shade for yeah, BL Striker on, on and, and BL Striker. Yeah. Two T V pieces, but again, cinematic values were coming into yeah. television a bit better yeah. at that stage. And not not only They were still at the foreground. Absolutely, but they were also too good visually for straight to video works even you know what I mean apart from the TV stuff you know what I mean he did he did several of Bert's straight to video stuff he did The Last Producer he did um, The Man from Left Field you know which Bert also directed um, but yeah The Maddening do you recommend it? <laughs> I do I enjoy it but it's not a great film but I, I think Nick even said he didn't, he didn't watch the whole thing. <laughs> even though it's, it's a great work. Even when he was filming it. <laughs> I don't you watched the final the final film. But um, uh, yeah, it's it's worth seeking out. It's just an interesting thing to see Bert playing a villain and in a kind yeah. of a psychological horror movie. It's worth So again, we said that, that 80s, 90s weren't kind. Though he was getting work. Let's face it, he more money than we had at that stage. Oh, God. I don't think he was bankrupt till 97, am I right? No, and then he probably wasn't as bankrupt as he made when, out. When Burt Reynolds is broke, he still has more money than most of us. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. But uh, television was kind of a lifesaver for it him. It was, yeah. And as it has been for a lot yeah. of actors who... Un- unfortunately, BL Striker didn't last more than two seasons and it was a brilliant show. Absolutely fantastic. And strangely enough... Did they make TV movies of that as well, though? Well, they were TV... I mean, they were two-hour TV movies. You know, TV movie of the mm-hmm. week for um, ABC, I think it was. And over here, they released them as films. That's there, right. there was about five or six of them that they released as straight-to-video movies. Mm. I guess to kind of keep the Burt Reynolds fans satisfied for movies. But then he went in. What really, really brought him back was Evening Shade, which he did straight after Beale Strike. Tell us about Evening Shade. I, I love the Evening Shade. Evening Shade is this very gentle, rural 
comedy very old-fashioned traditional family values kind of stuff you know what i mean but with a great cast some of burt's familiar faces marilou henner charles durning um those kind of guys ozzy davis loads of cameos peppered throughout of these familiar people kenny rogers for example again all shot by nick mclean and, and southern said as well wasn't it oh yeah it's in arkansas yeah. small town in arkansas but you know it's like something frank capra would have done back in the 40s I, I, sorry just to, to tell everybody anyone who doesn't know Burt Reynolds laugh go and find Burt Reynolds laugh on YouTube it's it's kind of addictive I'm tempted to do it myself <laughs> but I can't <laughs> and he had that wonderful shit eating grin I think they call it yeah and and it's it's, it's interesting that someone goes have those two qualities and you go god he's lovely because yeah. it's trying to get back to discussing the man's charm this uh, he had this availability and I think you said it best repeat what you said to me earlier well one of the things that kind of, you know, hypnotised me about Burt Reynolds is that at the same time, he's this untouchable movie star at the very, very height of his game. You know what I mean? Take take Brad Pitt at the top of his game and multiply it by 10. That, that, that's how big he was. Mm-hmm. But he always felt to me approachable. Someone you could meet in a bar, someone you could, you could just have a good time with. Just someone normal and relatable. And I think that's probably most, you know, most visible in the likes of, say, Evening Shade. And mm-hmm. I think that's... If, if Brad Pitt and Bill Murray had a baby. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps that, that, that's going to haunt me now. It's a creepy one, isn't it? Sorry, but I, I didn't mean that. I just came out. I just <laughs> but yeah, you know, I mean, he was he was the everyman. And I guess that was yeah. part of his his appeal. And that's, you know, one of my publishers said, he's, he's a folk hero down there because he represented something in a lot of people this kind of he had a, yeah, he a sincerity had a blue, in an everyman in yeah, there he had a blue collar working class kind of mentality and approach which was unusual in a lot of Hollywood stuff and Evening Shade went that was a, quite a big success wasn't it well, that it was went huge, on for yeah. many seasons did that last I think it was four seasons and it won Emmys and it won Golden Globes and it won this that and the other and it was fantastic great show um, so from there where, where is this little, that's I, when he went I, back into the straight to video stuff yeah that's <laughs> when he and, and he like he, he Again, from the outside, everyone marks their career up like a graph up and down. Yeah. And t- I suppose you could say that's a certain truth. But the man's talent never was without doubt. No. And he made a lot of challenge films that just missed the mark. But if to be looked back on now, would be regarded as kind of small masterpiece, including Breaking In. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Bill Fortside, who I interviewed in the book and who had great regard for. for I love that film. I think it's a very unusual film. Oh, Again, it's yeah. got a Scottish director... An American subject matter. Yeah. It's about uh, a uh, retired safe cracker, or well, no, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's an active um, safe cracker, but he's coming to the end of his. Yeah, days. I think he, he wants he's that near final, retirement. He wants that loot that can just take him off to yeah. some sunny climate for the rest of his life. But he meets this young guy who is kind of right. a yeah, petty it's, it's a mentor apprentice. Yeah, kind Ka- of story. Casey Jamasco yeah. plays the kid, and it's a beautiful father and son kind of you know surrogate fathers son kind of thing, and that was a team throughout. It's one thing that fascinated me throughout this whole book and, and looking at Burt's films in these contexts was there's a team of family running all the way through Burt's filmography from his TV, his films and everything. You see it right up to his most re- his, his last film, the last movie star. But um, definitely in Breaking In, it's a wonderful relationship. Very quiet little film. It's, you know, it's unusual for that time. In late 80s, an indie movie. You know what I mean? It was Sam Goldwyn Studios. John Sales wrote the script. Bill Forsyth coming from you know the, the indie stuff over here the, the Scottish films and I know it's probably unpopular film but it's probably my favourite Bill, For- Bill Forsyth film you yeah, know I'll put it up there yeah terrific the and one of Burt's best performances and it's, I think it was nice for him to be with an American crew it kind of changed a little bit of the yeah. approach it's, it's interesting you know as movie fans looking following Bill Forsyth's mm-hmm. career and to see where he went from, from those Scottish films to the, going to America then and doing breaking in and being human and all that kind of stuff you know but uh, Bill was was great to talk to for the book. You know, loved loved working with Bert, even though he said there were some embarrassing instances on the set. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> well, it was Bill Forsythe's birthday one day on the set, and Bert arranged for a strippogram to arrive <laughs> on set to do her thing. You know, and Bill said, "I'll kill you." <laughs> he just walked off. You know, that's not his thing. He's just a very very subdued kind of guy, and yeah. that's you know, Bert. Bert did his thing. You know, bringing the strippogram, but. Didn't, didn't watch it, it, it wasn't to be to no, be seen. No, it's you know, two different <laughs> two different kind of guys, you know. So, so how did uh, again? A lot of younger directors got the opportunity to work with him later on. Yeah. Um, 
tell us a bit more about what that relationship was like with with people like Adam Rifkin, who we're going to talk about now. Well, Adam was great to talk to. Um, he did the last movie star, and you know I can totally relate because we're both Burt Reynolds geeks, and mm-hmm. you can see that in the last movie star. All the stuff, the last movie star is essentially the story of Burt Reynolds in a kind of a loose comedic kind of kind of way and it's, it's a comedy at the end of the day give but us a bit of the plot there for our listeners so um, Bert is a faded film star who was once you know the biggest movie star in the world <clears throat> and but throughout his career he made some mistakes financially personally and professionally and so he's not really he's not getting offered roles anymore you know that kind of thing and he's just living out his days you know in pain for various various injuries and whatever but um, a couple of young guys in Tennessee organize a film festival to honor him. Now, when I say they organize a film festival, it's in the basement of a bar with a fold-down screen, you know, and a couple of friends watching his movies. <laughs> so he gets invited to to this to attend, you know. But he, he mistakes it for an actual proper film festival that goes on in the same state. So, he, you know, he gets to the to the festival and he realizes it's kind of a just an amateur thing. So he kind of takes off out of there but one of the guys goes with him on a, on a road trip because it's close to where he was brought up and he goes vis- visits his family home you know he visits the stadium where he used to play football so as you can see there's a lot of mm-hmm. Burt Reynolds in here yeah. you know what I mean yeah. it's it's mirror image but it's 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 an actor this old actor coming to terms with his place in life and the acceptance as, as, even if it's a small couple of guys in a bar showing his movies mm-hmm. he, 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 they acknowledge the fact that he was this, this great actor and they want to celebrate him and he accepts their kind of you know celebration of him you know but it's 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 essentially a movie about Burt Reynolds you know very sweet but uh, it was uh, great talking to Adam about that because we just both geeked out and how know. did Adam find work with Burt did he find that he would try and direct the film or did he oh he just... found, found him a dream to work with and Burt stuck with him through the the long days of waiting for financing I mean the movie I think was set to go 10 years ago but you know the way it was fairly <clears> much an indie <throat> pro. oh absolutely yeah and that's the thing, you know, the way indie, indie productions go to get finance and then the financing falls through. Bert stayed with him. And he says, once you get the money to make this movie, call me. I'll be there. Which back, brings back to that topic, which is about the, the, the loyalty of Burt Reynolds and even Nick McLean would, would uh, say that, like, the, it was an unexpected thing of being told, I want you for my cinematographer. Yeah. And yet he had said that 10 years or what prior, I'll watch you for my cinematographer, I'll be back to you. Yeah, well, the thing was, I mean, Nick, or Bert made Nick a cinematographer on, on Sharky's Machine. They were just setting up a shot one day and Nick was telling them because they'd both worked with Vilmo Sigmund, who was a very, very close friend of Nick's. Mm-hmm. They brought, you know, came up together in that scene. So they were just talking about deliverance and Nick said the story that the Vilmos said to me one day, yeah, I'm going to make you a camera operator. And on the next film he did, and it was like Steven Spielberg movie. You know, <laughs> so Bert turned around and say, "Oh, Vilmos made you a camera operator, did he? Well, I'm going to make you a cinematographer." Then a few months later, he got the script for Stroke Race, and that was Nick's first movie as a cinematographer. And that's that's what Bert did. If he said he was going to do something for you, he did. It. You know, and mm-hmm. Nick confirmed uh, that. One thing that you you veer off uh, filmmaking a little bit in your book was you cover uh, some ground discussing uh, the fact that he did an album. Oh yeah, ask me what I am. Yeah, tell me more yeah, about, about that. that. Was, a wonderful kind of um, country and soul album from Bert that came out, I think, sandwiched between Fuzz and Deliverance. I think he, he recorded it at the same time he was kind of doing Deliverance. Mm-hmm. And it was it was produced by Bobby Goldsborough, who was famous for a big hit, Honey. You know, and he was he was famous in his own right for, for TV stuff. He has his own variety show, Bobby Goldsborough Hour or something like that. And I talked to Bobby in the book and, uh, you know, they were close friends for the, for the rest of their lives I mean Bobby did the, the team team song for Evening Shade and he did the song for Gator a few other bits and pieces but yeah this is a wonderful album I mean Bert always hired the best no matter what project he was on he hired the best technicians the best cinematographers the best editors the best whoever stunt guys it was the same for the album he hired the best musicians mainly from Nashville all these sessions, session, session guys and it's, yeah it's just a beautiful piece of work and it carries the teams that I identify in a lot of the films and throughout his work teams of longing for a family you know teams of trying to find his place you know as this major celebrity but kind of as a reluctant celebrity to Mm -hmm. to some degree you know what I mean because you know you have the invasion of privacy you have the the scrutiny of media on your life when I think deep down it it sounded like he really wanted a kind of a a normal family life but how do you juxtapose that with being the biggest film star in the world and he addresses a lot of these teams in the album but the album's just a, a 
terrifically and he, emotional he, piece he still hadn't stratosphered at that stage he was he was just he was about to peak yeah you know what I mean with deliverance you know but he was still he was highly popular I think it was a jo- was it jo- Johnny Carson who said about him he says the more successful you get he says the longer it takes you from get to get down the steps to sit down beside me <laughs> on this br- show. That was brilliant because yeah. of that swagger of yours. Yeah. If you if you look at the clip from Johnny Carson, <laughs> all those times, you know, from the very first to the the most recent deliverance, he just slowed the walk down as he got to the couch because he was savoring well, that reception. You know, people talk about false modesty. I think it was a kind of false arrogance. Yeah, it but he did like, it with a wink. You know, yeah, but it was a very American thing, and mm. Americans would get it in a different yeah. way than people from other cultures would. Yeah, just like because that they, yeah. you know, they say about the. American people look at the, the mansion up in the hill and go, one day I'll be living up there. Yeah. An Irish man looks up at the mansion hill and he goes, fucking bastard. <laughs> but the thing is, I mean, <laughs> if, you, if you didn't know Burt Reynolds, you know, his personality enough, you might look at that that swagger, that slow walk and his look around to the audience. You might take that as pure arrogance. Well, he did the Carson show. He stood oh, he, for Carson a few times, didn't That's he? right, yeah. yeah. And, who, you know, he was the second most popular person on Carson, aside from Carson. But the thing about that walk is, he relished it, but he did it with a wink and a smile. You know, yes, he he didn't exactly. do it. Out, he didn't do it yeah. out of pure arrogance. Mm-hmm. He knew he was he was aware of this approbation of of him as this celebrity figure, and he played with it. You know, he entirely enjoyed it. I think that that's part of what maybe put a lot of people off him to some degree that he was seen to enjoy it too much. We don't like to see our successful people enjoying it, do we? I, I I think he was being very honest. Yeah, well, it said like f- false arrogance, as I said. You yeah. know, it's like uh, he just kept playing the game. But he was very self-aware of mm-hmm. his place in life and his his place as this, you know, anointed celebrity. But he, he came from you know, a bit of a rough and tumble background. You know, what I mean, working class, small town Florida. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't the kind of thing that was normal to him. You know what I mean? He wasn't brought up in Hollywood or anything like that. So he earned it. You know, mm-hmm. he earned it the hard way with those many years as a stunt performer and bit parts and in those TV shows that came and went and failed or whatever. So, fuck it, he, he enjoyed his success. And working till the very end, um, uh, most people will know him, most of our, our younger listeners, just say the younger listeners, uh, will know him from Boogie Nights, just to, yeah. should get a mention. Yeah. Uh, there's a strange stories behind that, whether he loved it or hated it or was kind of a bit disgusted with it by the yeah, end. Yeah, I think he had this uh, difficult relationship to it and to Paul Thomas Anderson. Um, like I've seen interviews where Paul Thomas Anderson, you know, it says Bert was great to work with, but Bert never seemed to reciprocate that love. <laughs> <laughs> what do you think that was? Arrogance, but not in a self-aware manner. Yeah. From Paul Thomas Anderson, perhaps. I don't know. Um, I remember Bert said once that, you know, Paul Thomas Anderson was coming up with all these great shots, who, which he thought was very innovative and all that. And Bert said, kid, I was around when those guys invented those shots. You know <laughs> what I mean? So he was kind of like... I guess he, he was coming out of that indie scene like with Tarantino where it was, everything was referencing older films and but it was new mm-hmm. and vital. It's still like Pulp Fiction, for example, even though it's referencing all these art films and grindhouse films, it still felt very vital and new for the time. And especially if you weren't aware of those mm. films that's referencing. So I think Anderson is coming out of that kind of milieu and he's, you know, the opening tracking shot in Boogie Nights is a prime example of those very virtuosic, mm-hmm. you know, kind of stuff that was going on in the, the new Hollywood, the early new Hollywood. Well, don't forget to go, go all the back to the way to Touch of Evil in yeah, exactly, the 1950s. Yeah. So like I say, Bert, Bert was there with the, with the original guys. So. I know, but this means Paul's not allowed to do him. <laughs> oh, absolutely not. No, no. But um, I think it was just whatever antagonism Didn't went on. Didn't Bert get a lot of, nom- a lot of nominations for oh, that role? Yeah, the only one, he won a lot of stuff, but the only thing he didn't win, what he was nominated for, was the Oscar. The Oscar, yeah. You know? Which is a shame because it was a, mar- a very important performance in the entire film. Oh yeah, it's very good. And again, it comes back to this idea that he's he's a father figure. Yeah, and he, he said and that he was his way in. the heart of the story. He said that was the only way he could do the film was to find that fatherly, familial love. That's the only way. He, that was his way into the into the script, mm-hmm. which he which he apparently didn't like. You know. Okay, that's interesting. I didn't know yeah, that. But it took him a long time to come around to to accepting the role but that was his way in and you can you can see it it's like I say it's, it's a team that runs across do you work. think it's one of his great performances no what's, what's it's your... a great performance yeah but it's it's not up there for me I mean the last movie star is as worthy probably more worthy of a, yeah. an Academy Award than, than Boogie Nights I mean Boogie Nights in general is not for me one of the great Burt Reynolds films yeah. it's, it's yeah. somewhere in the middle you know. Yeah, well, I wouldn't consider it a Burt Reynolds film. I don't think. No, but it, just in kind of in in even just ranking his yeah. his work, it just I've, I revisited it recently, obviously for the book, but I just find it it's 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 a great exercise in in style, but it's for me, it's ultimately kind of a shallow exercise. 
Yeah, it's not one of my favourite of his movies. No. Right. Anderson never really interested me in general. But, yeah. You know, but um, so much more better performances from Bart throughout his career before mm-hmm, and after. Mm-hmm. Well, tell me what 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 would you regard? Oh, let, let, let's talk about the later ones. Go get somewhere mm-hmm. t- towards the the final. Well, films. He, did, he did another film actually, which is quite similar to the last movie, Star Wars, from a different angle, which is called The Last Producer, which was his last directorial film. Yes, and again, it's about a guy who's a bit washed up in Hollywood, but he's a he's a filmmaker though, not an actor. And I think that was written by him as well, was it? It was, yeah, very much a Burt Reynolds film, auteur piece, if you will. So, um, yeah, again, another straight-to-video film. It's the kind of film you'll find in bargain bins for a penny on Amazon, you know, that kind of way. Yeah. But terrific film. Beautiful looking. Again, shot by Nick McLean. Sean Astin is in it. Um, Angie Dickinson, a few of Burt's regu- Bert's regulars. And, it's, and it's, she's it's, made friends with, uh, with uh, Angie. You made friends with Angie back in Sam Whiskey days, wasn't Sam Whiskey, yeah. Yeah, so she's popped up in a few bits and pieces over the years with him. Um, but, yeah, again, it's another semi-autobiographical thing. It's about just this guy who's who peaked in the 70s has been coming down ever since and just wants to make that that great film that great piece of work and I think he did it with the last movie star Bert finally did it with the last movie star you know so that, that last there's a double bill piece. in there oh there is absolutely yeah so that would be one of your favourite of his kind of uh, Twilight movies the last movie star yeah oh definitely yeah I love the dramatic stuff in it it's very emotional some some of Bert's best acting mm-hmm. is in there absolutely some of his best acting you know, um, probably you might have preferred a little something a little less comedic. I mean, it's a comedy at the end of the day, mm-hmm. but I do love the tribute to Bert, and I love those dramatic scenes. I mean, it really is. You couldn't ask for a better final film for Bert Reynolds. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it really was just a a great you know curtain call for Bert Reynolds, and the, the final frame of the film is him just smiling to the camera, just mm-hmm. a little little nod to the audience to say thank you, thank you for yeah. the. What year was that made? Um, 2015, 16. So it's not that long. No, before it's 2017, we're... perhaps maybe. Okay, no, oh, wow. Last couple of years, anyway. Is it, is that one hard to find? It's, um, no, I looked around for it. Only recently, it got a German Blu-ray DVD release. Okay, but other than that, it's you know tracked down the the region one disc. Yeah. I think I think it was on Netflix or something like that because when Bert died, actually, there seemed to be quite a, a kind of rediscovery of it. It wasn't long out at that stage before before Bert passed away, but thankfully, people so, have been discovering. But the time you done all this amazing work to create this and again you told me before there's still one or two things that weren't covered with the book because you just taught yeah. uh, meant a page you yeah, could well, use I mean it was great when, like my first pitch to the publisher was you know because Bert has such a huge career I never thought I would have been able to cover the whole thing so I said will we do like you know the essential Bert Reynolds cover 50 of the, f- the biggest films mm-hmm. or the most important films for whatever reason and then the publisher said no let's, let's do it properly let's do the whole thing make it fully, you know, comprehensive. That's, you know, now the only thing where, where I drew the line was if he wasn't the main star in a TV show, because he did a lot of TV stuff where he, you know, he was in cameos, cameos or yeah, things like I, that. As I know. kept telling you about Archer. <laughs> which I haven't seen, I'm ashamed to oh, admit. Yes. But, you know, I, I, I do have the Golden <laughs> Girls, which he was in. <laughs> well, he could not be in the Golden Girls. No, he couldn't. Being a flower and a man. No, Estelle Getty. I haven't you know? seen that episode though. Really? Oh, no. it's great. Yeah, so B. Archer and Estelle Getty fawning over. He's a great scene stealer. I'd say that. Yeah. <laughs> now, all you had to do was walk on, walk on screen and you just, you know, you adored Bert do that laugh. Yeah. <laughs> but I, no, I did have to draw the line with with certain stuff um, I got all the films in there mm-hmm. you know obviously there was a couple of films where he did cameos that no and animations um, no all it is well All Dogs Go to Heaven is in there because yeah. that is essentially it's a it's a Burt Reynolds film Dom that, that is I actually watched it recently yeah. enough and also nothing to mark in there there's a the little uh, bromance between him and Dom DeLuise oh yeah, yeah. that features True Cannonball yeah. Run that and the end, by the way, which is one oh, we didn't mention. Dark, dark. That's a, that's, that, that's a one. At least he doesn't die at the end. But you're wondering <laughs> after, trying, after, after, after the frame, or sorry, the last, the end comes up. Yeah. what's happening after that? <laughs> well, he tries his best to, to get killed in that Very movie. Very unusual but, film, and that was actually yeah. quite successful as well. And he, and he directed it. it. Yeah, and he no. directed it. it was, was that the second film he directed? Um, it came after Hooper. Or sorry, not Hooper. Um, Gator. So yeah. Okay, so, and right. then he went on to Hooper after the yeah. end. So he did a few animations, didn't he? He was in the film Archer. On, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he was in a, one of these, you know, uh, digitally animated stuff later on. But it was a very small role. I didn't cover that mm-hmm. because you know you don't want to be filling up 
valuable well, page space. Well, I think what you've brought is amazing, and there's definitely a wonderful shape to the man who the people are interested in more than gossip about mm. him and the creative side of him. I think it's a very unusual oeuvre, and it stands for itself. Well, that's the As main thing I wanted yeah. to do. I did not want to do a book on his personal life mm-hmm. from the from the get go. That was not my thing, and I said that to anybody I was going to interview. You know. So, did you feel any different, or not any different in a, a negative way, but about Bert's work? Did you feel like you'd learned something, anything new by going extensively into this? Oh, man? absolutely, yeah. And it was those themes that I mentioned, Mission. you know, um, of just family and longing for some kind of, I can like a father son connection. It's in so many of his films. It's when you, when you when you look at them in this kind of you know, context, it's, it's hard to not see. And, it, and that intensity, you, know. you start yeah. swapping. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that was a surprising thing because, you know, down the years as a kind of, a, as a Burt Reynolds fan, I never made that connection because I wasn't looking at the films in that space of time to, to find it. You know, I wasn't looking for it anyway, because when you're writing these books, you're, you're looking for teams as well. You know, yeah. you're looking for something yeah. to kind of, to, to grasp onto and go, well, is it in that film? Is it in that film? Is it in that film? You know, and that was a major, major um, team in the Tom DeChillo book which was family because those teams are in there across all of his films, even up to his Doors film. Well, yeah. You know, and, but I was delighted to find it in, in Burt Reynolds' work because at the end of the day, there's no more, there's no team more relatable than family because who can't relate to so family dynamics? Yeah, yeah we're, all, we're all stuck at one at some yeah. point. <laughs> we're, all, we're, all, we're all a member of that exclusive club, whether we like it or not, yeah. you know. So um, it's great when, when these artists that you, you really admire that at the end of the day, they they, they they develop teams that are just re- as relevant to you and me and that guy over there as mm-hmm. to to anybody, you know, yeah. big stars or not. So so if, if you were, the d- Desert Island film question. Oh God. What, your five films you can have with you on a Desert Island by <laughs> Bert, what are they? <laughs> okay, Sharky's Machine, Stick. Thank God you have me now. So um, I, I'd hate that question. I wouldn't answer it. Oh, Jesus <laughs> Christ. Um, deliverance, I suppose. No, not Deliverance, actually. Take that out. No, no. Think about it in terms of, <laughs> yeah, why would you want to be bummed out by Deliverance? <laughs> oh, dear Sorry, God. Very bad turn of phrase there. For anybody who's seen Deliverance. <laughs> um, oh, God, that's such a hard question. Because I love, I love, I love Burt films. You know what I mean? There's not one film that I, I don't like. I mean, the closest thing to, I get to a Burt Reynolds film that I don't like is probably, you know, Lucky Lady. And there was a, couple of other films later on maybe that weren't so great but no, I, there's no film there I say oh, I don't like that Okay, you know what I mean yeah. because even if it's a bad film I just love watching Burt Reynolds on screen I yeah he has that kind of uh, you can let him do the wallpaper and, and you, 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 yeah you, you, <laughs> he's, he's just an, uh, such an enjoyable and magnetic and compelling screen presence that I can watch him in the worst piece of trash possible <laughs> you know <laughs> On that note, we won't even make you mention your other tree. Thank you so much, Wayne, for coming in. Thanks for having me. Cheers. Thank you.
dream To live is dream enough For if I'm really as I seem In part we're all a bluff Don't waste your time with questions Even you don't understand The question is the answer, babe 